Welcome to a podcast about Hilton Head Island and the Low Country. Amber Kuhn from Spartina Marine Education Charters is joining us today as we discuss ecotourism and her tour boat company as we head down 278 to Lighthouse Road. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hilton Head Golf Vacations. If you are planning a golf trip to Hilton Head Island, let Hilton Head Golf Vacations do the work for you. Hilton Head Golf Vacations has over 20 years of experience providing custom golf packages. They offer over 25 courses to choose from, affordable high-end golf club rentals, and even offer accommodation packages. Don't lug golf clubs through the airport and pay exorbitant additional baggage fees. Let Hilton Head Golf Vacations do the work for you. Visit hhigolfvacations.com and book your trip today. Welcome to this episode of 278 to Lighthouse Road. I am your host, Jay McCain. Amber Kuhn is a marine biologist, boat captain, and owner of Spartina Marine Education Charters. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us uh, where are you from and tell us a little bit about your uh, background. Well, my great-grandparents came to Bluffton, South Carolina in 1953 and they bought a waterfront home. Just uh, actually a property to build a little cottage for, for weekends and summers. And family was in Savannah. And eventually, when they retired, they moved over here. And it's just passed down to generation to generation. And now that Bluffton is big enough to have a job <laughs> and work here, then, you know, there's more residents in the town that's getting bigger and bigger. But when I was growing up in Bluffton, there wasn't even a high school. So uh, it's changed quite a bit oh absolutely i remember the first year we started coming down was 1973 and there was nothing on 278 i mean it was totally empty they still had to rotate uh-huh. they still had the the rotating bridge you know like uh-huh. i hit by the barge and got stuck uh-huh. up and we were actually on the island when that all happened so oh, really? um, oh it was crazy it was absolutely a crazy time they had to build that floating bridge across the um i guess it was skull creek uh, to get mm-hmm. a, to get people on and off the island. So, <laughs> anyway, what uh, what was it like growing up on on the May River in that area? Well, I remember just being bored all the time. And when I think back on it, you know, we had a motorboat <laughs> and a four wheeler, a lot of dirt roads around here. Uh, there was no reason to be bored. Just you know. That's just a kid thing, I guess. You have to be. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cable television. You know, none of that instant gratification stuff, but we had to make do with the outdoors, which I am so thankful for. It, it really did shape um, my future. Where did you go to school for undergrad and grad school? And tell us a little bit about your educational pursuits. I graduated high school in 92 in Savannah, and then I went to University of Georgia for an undergraduate degree in biology, which is also a pre-medical degree, which I decided was not for me. So I came home and I started working um, at a restaurant, actually, and volunteering for the Sea Turtle Patrol on Hilton Head and just fell in love with that. So I went to graduate school in 2000 and I was in Fort Lauderdale for three years. And then I went to Maui because I could. I got a job there, actually, and went on over there to just uh, see what kind of turtles they had there as well. Yeah. Learned a little bit about the Pacific, and of course, turtles were my focus, sea turtles. And then after two years in Maui, 
I came home to Bluffton. And I think I always knew that I would come home to Bluffton. It's it's kind of a a, a place where your my roots are for sure, and just a, a gorgeous place. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. When did you come back to the Low Country, and, and what did you do when you got back? It was 2006 when I got back, and um, you know I had been used to a little bit of South Florida, a little bit of Hawaii, and when I got back, I had a little bit of a culture shock um, <laughs> because it just—I mean, of course, I grew up here. So I knew what to expect, but I had been so removed from it for so long, the culture and and everything. Quickly got right back into it and started my first job actually back was at Palmetto Bluff. It was a new development back then, newer. And I was their first boat captain that they hired, the harbor master hired me to run a taxi between Hilton Head and Palmetto Bluff. Really? That's very, that's, that's a very cool thing to do down there. There's a lot of, a lot of boat tourism, um, you know, getting people out on the, on the water. It's a very popular thing to do. Culture down there. It's definitely a much lower pace of life. Um, you know, it's you see some of the folks that are coming in from some of the larger cities and they're like, what is going on here? Nothing, nothing happens fast. You know, it's all, you know, sweet tea and magnolias and Spanish moss hanging from the trees. When did you start, uh, your own charter company? Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Well, after Palmetto Bluff, I worked for, uh, Mike Overton's outside Hilton's head, which is one of the larger tour boat companies on the, the island. And you've re- familiarized myself again with the area I grew up in and the waterways and so forth. And, um, eventually decided that I could do this myself <laughs> and make my own schedule. And I worked uh, at Braze Island Plantation, just another uh, boating department there, and, and finally got my boat built. And the, the boat is a Jones Brothers bateau. It's 25 feet long and 11 feet wide. And it holds 24 passengers, but I usually take 20. Um, it had never been certified for the Coast Guard. You know, if you take more than six people that are paying on a boat... You have to go through a Coast Guard inspection every year. You have to be on a boat with rails a certain height. You have to have all the safety equipment. There's a lot that goes into having a charter yeah, boat company. there sure is. So um, that took a year to engineer that boat for uh, Coast Guard certification. And when I got it, uh, finally, it was 2014 when I ran the first charter. Where do you sail from? And uh, tell me about some of the different excursions. Well, uh, sail from, and I can't call it sail because it's a motorboat, but I depart from the Bluffton Town Dock on Calhoun Street. So it's the main street in Bluffton. It's always been there. When when I was growing up, Bluffton was no more than a two-square-mile town, city limits. And now um, that area was within that two miles. So they built a new dock. It just opened in 2020 at the very end, and um, it's gorgeous. It is right just a block over from the Bluffton Oyster Company. Okay. So we we depart. We we go down the river past the Oyster Company and talk about that landmark, why the oysters are piled up there, uh, the shrimp boats sitting there, and we look at the turtle excluder device in the net, usually if it's there. And then we pass by and go through some of the hammock islands that are, that are along the May river and talk about the maritime forest and look at the, the cross section of land is all sand in the low country. It's, we have a little bit of soil, not much, uh, but mostly sand. And there's a reason for that as well. And then we talk about tide, why the water is green instead of blue. Um, we talk about mud, fluff mud, why it smells the way it does. 
and I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> it's a very distinct odor. <laughs> yes. And I bring fiddler crabs and blue crabs along. I have a tank for the blue crabs and stone crabs and shrimp if they're around and just uh, talk about their role in the ecosystem. So I kind of start with the little stuff and work all the way up. And if we see a dolphin, of course, I have to stop because nobody's going to let me talk about mud when there's a dolphin right there. Yeah. So, <laughs> of course. Even though it's important, that mud is important, and the marsh grass in particular, the boat is called Spartina, which is the scientific name for marsh grass. Uh, it was Spartina alternaflora for many years, and they changed the scientific name a few years ago to Sporobolus alternaflora, which I don't like that name. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not changing it. Uh, we're going to stick with Spartina alternaflora. So it does revolve, the, the lecture does revolve around marsh grass. And what makes this trip a little different than the others, because I, I ran for other companies and, and it's a sightseeing tour. We're mainly looking for dolphins when we were on those boats and, you know, just answering questions here and there. But this is literally Amber talking for two hours about the ecosystem. So it's more of an educational focused on education rather than sightseeing, even though we're out there and we are sightseeing. Uh, the touch tank, is that a very popular thing with the kids to be able to get in there and actually pick up a crab or some of the, the other creatures you bring? Um, you cannot play with a blue crab. You will regret it. <laughs> I pick them up. I've done that for years and uh, learned. I've been bitten many, many times and it hurts really bad. So they get to look into the tank and I will pick the crabs up and show them Usually we learn the difference between the male and the female crab and, and what looks different on their bodies and, and how they go about each other, which in the spring is interesting. There's definitely a, a trick to actually picking uh, a yes. crab up. I actually, one of my favorite things to do is when we're down uh, visiting Harbortown, I go out on the pier and people are out there crabbing all the time and they'll catch them. And then they'll be like running around on the dock and I'm like, they're like, you know, they don't know how to get them, how to handle them. Yeah. I'm like, stop, yeah. you know, and I'd go over and gently, you know, protect the claws and reach around and pick them up from behind in that, that right. little area. And they're like, holy cow, you know, and, you know, teach the kids how to pick them up and that kind of stuff. And yeah, people are just like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you know what you're doing, but still every now and then they get me. So yeah. they're quick. <laughs> yeah, they are quick. <laughs> they are quick. Let's touch a little bit more on the environmental education aspect of the tour um you know what exactly you're teaching these folks um you know because it's a great opportunity for you to help visitors and people that are chartering with you to understand you know the ecology of what's going on and you know the ecotourism um and how to respect and protect what is down there so that it lasts for generations to come right so i don't advertise at all um just don't, I guess it's just me in a boat. So there's not a, a whole lot of income to, to put toward advertising, but I focus on going around town and giving presentations to the local groups, you know, Rotary, Kiwanis, Gardeners, it's just all these little groups and Girl Scouts. I do school children as well, presentations. And then I invite them to come on the boat. So I really like the locals to come. And when I say locals now, it's not like when I said locals 30 years ago, you know, these are people, they call themselves locals, but they've been here for like two years and they've never been on a boat before. So those, those are the ones that we welcome aboard because we really want them to learn about where they live now. It's important. I also do all the on water field trips for Beaufort County schools. 
you have to be vetted for that. You can't just take school children out in a boat. Sure. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that departs from the Maritime Center in Okasee. Of course, COVID, um, we didn't do any of that last year, but we have for years. The tourists that find me, the visitors, are the ones that are seeking an educational experience because you can go to the website and you can you can see it's a little different than other websites because it does include some of the things that I do on the side, which when I say some, I mean probably half my life is volunteer and the other half is running this boat. And if I didn't have the boat, I wouldn't be able to volunteer. So they kind of work together. Going mammal stranding, sea turtles uh, stranding, nesting, hatching, all of that is volunteer. I like it when the people on board are intending to learn. I want them to, it's fun and there's, there are stories and there are jokes and it's entertaining. There are a lot of laughs, but the whole time you're getting information and a lot of it, why the ocean is blue. Most people don't know that. Um, There's things that you can take away, and hopefully I give the presentation in a way that you can explain it to other people, and that way we spread the word. So you do do uh, corporate events, corporate-type outings? Um, you know, if, a, if someone calls and wants to rent the boat and they have 20 people, you know, up to 20 people, then, uh, you know, they have a group rate, and they, they come on with a group. It's usually clubs and things like that. Corporate events are usually very large, and when I've participated in those, it's been multiple boats. So, you know, Palmetto Bluff does conventions and corporate things, and we'll go over there, and there's another operator on the May River. There's two locals that do this. May River Excursions and Spartina Charters are the two locals. We both grew up here, and there are no marinas in Bluffton. So if you have a boat, um, you're either going to have to trailer it, or you have a parent that has a dock on the river. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> dock fees are super high. And if you're on Hilton Head and you run tours in Bluffton, you're, you're paying for a lot of fuel. So both of us are fortunate in that regard. But it takes a lot of boats to accommodate a corporate event. So what's your what's your ideal uh, group? Is it, you know, a couple families? Is it, you know... Some ladies with a card club to come out, you know, and, and drink wine and sail with you or, you know, boat with you or. Well, you know, that's an option. It, you can, if you do a private tour, you can, you can make it whatever you want. You can bring your own beverage and you can learn about the ecosystem or you can, you know, just ask questions and I'll answer questions. So I, I prefer the people that get on the boat that want to learn and, and hopefully kids want to learn. Occasionally, you know, they're they're not all on board for um, learning. I mean, they, they go to school, and I know that it's been hard this year, but I want them to pay attention. So it's information that hopefully they'll be interested in. And then when they're not, it kind of hurts my feelings because I've gotten to a point where I just – I grew up here. I knew things happened. I knew the water was green. I knew the mud smelled bad. I, I knew marsh grass was everywhere, but I had no idea how important it was and how it was interconnected. All of it comes back to marsh grass. You can just connect the dots all the way around with everything in our river, and it all comes back together. It's like this huge circle so it's like a light bulb goes off and you're just like, oh my gosh, I never realized that. And some of it's so simple. You're like, oh my, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I should have just gotten that. But, you know, it's 
sometimes it just has to be presented. Well, I don't want you to give the whole tour away, but you know, give us just a little little bit about the importance of that marsh grass and, and, and the mud to give people kind of a flavor of what you talk about on your tours. The mud is, um, it's squishy, right? And people know that. They um, know that if you step in it, you're going to sink into it. So there's an engineering reason behind that. There's a reason that it's sinky and it has to do with silt. And silt is sand, uh, but it's this most minute particle that you can have. You can't get a, a sand grain any smaller if you have a, a grain of silt. And because silt uh, doesn't lock together or hold your weight like sand at the beach where the grains are all different sizes and shapes. It's like putting a whole bunch of BBs in a jar and then putting pressure on it. The BBs aren't going to hold you up at all. And the reason it's like that, or the purpose in nature, is that anything that lands on it, like say a dead fish, something like that, lands on it, the uh, fish is going to sink into the mud. And the mud is there to decompose the fish, the bacteria that's in the mud decomposes the fish and releases a gas. Gas travels through that light, fluffy silt and escapes through holes. And those holes are those fiddler crab holes. So when the fiddler crab opens the hole, then the gas comes out and it's a hydrogen sulfide gas that you smell. So the mud isn't just there. It floats, silt floats in the water because it's so tiny. So we have a lot of silt in our water. And because we have tide, it's constantly moving. And when it's up in the grass at high tide, there's a time at, at slack tide. This is the time, it's about 30 minutes, where the tide is going to turn around and go the opposite direction. And the silt settles to the base of the marsh grass. The marsh grass actually collects the silt from the waterway to build the mud flat. And then the purpose of the mud flat is to clean the waterway. I mean, it just it just keeps going in a circle. I mean, there's several <laughs> examples where I could I could bring it up, and it'll all go back to marsh grass. So, yeah, um, I hope that makes sense to you. But no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that. I just want people to get a flavor of kind of you know what you talk about on the tours, and you know that's a fascinating thing, and and I actually learned quite a bit right there. Um, what's your what's your favorite thing to uh, to do in the area? Well, you know, free time for me is really minimal. And I'll have to admit, you know, I have this side of me that's all nature and outside outdoorsy and that sort of thing. But I really love um, kind of the the 1930s era. I know you're not going to expect me to say anything about that, but certain restaurants in the area that are a little bit, um, you know, uh, fancy, not fancy so much, but uh, fancy for Bluffton style. They'll play that music, have a martini at the bar. That is my time to relax, and it happens so rarely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully that can happen a little bit more now that things are starting to open up a little bit. But uh, what is is your favorite restaurant to go to? Where do you love to go have that martini? I love love the um, May River Grill and the Bluffton Room. And and both of them have that atmosphere that, that I just really enjoy. And so... Sitting at the bar and you know having one drink, usually that's all I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> Where is that? Uh, it's really nice. Yeah. Do you have a favorite place that, that you like to go, either in the area or you know, like to actually travel to? Travel outside of Bluffton? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is yeah, it, I, you know, the place is so beautiful. I'm not sure why anybody would want to leave, but you know, some people do like to actually live there and go on vacation somewhere else. So. 
Yeah. So I usually, if I have, you know, some days off, I'll, I'll go to Fort Lauderdale. This is where I went to grad school. Um, this is kind of where I learned that it wasn't all Southern culture. Of course, I moved South, but that's not the South down there. No, it's you know? New York. <laughs> <laughs> Is. And I was a female boat captain, which which I knew was a little bit rare. But when I got down there, I was the only female dive boat captain in the area. And when I got on the water, you know, with questions over the VHF radio, I did not get answers. You know, hey, I'm new out here. What's the current doing? Anybody on this wreck? Um, let me know. Radio silence. So about six months of trial by fire, learning my way around you know, totally different uh, ecosystem. And it wasn't an ecology tour anyway. I worked on a dive boat. I drove a dive boat. Uh, so a lot of people on board that had their lives in my hands <laughs> and I was new to the area. So eventually after about six months, when they saw that I knew what I was doing, I tried really hard and uh, they just all became best friends, best friends, my best friends. So a lot of them I still know. I go down just to visit them and being on the water with that kind of boating atmosphere and that camaraderie is really something that I, I miss. Fort Lauderdale is a huge boating uh, community and, and the water out there is um, clear. You know, it's clearer. It's not cleaner by far, not cleaner than here. Just because you can't see through it does not mean that it's dirty here in the low country. Um but just to see that every now and then and maybe just see a building, a skyscraper. I certainly do not want to live amongst skyscrapers, oh, no. <laughs> but just every now and then to look at it and just feel like, oh, yeah, hey, look at that. But totally different environment. And it's a seven hour drive, you know, so it's it's where I get I go to get away and kind of um, visit with really great, great friends that, that were in the boating community. Tell me about your your diving experience because that's not something you see a whole lot at Hilton Head just because of, um, you know, the the water clarity there isn't necessarily great. Right. So uh, there was a dive shop. It was on Matthews Drive, and I worked there uh, right after college. And, you know, it was part-time. And I did do some um, scraping bottoms of boats in the marinas and things like that um, just to get my certifications uh they're expensive and I eventually became a scuba instructor while I was working there and a boat captain because the dive shop got a boat to take out of Hilton Head Harbor, which was the old RV resorts on the North end. Okay. And the boat left there out of Port Royal Sound traveled for 16 miles to the Eagle's Nest, which is a wreck area where there's wreckage and, you know, it's like an all-day boat ride for two dives on the same spot that weren't that great. So <laughs> that didn't last long. But the owner of the shop said, you know, all of you dive masters and scuba instructors that want to go on this boat, we're not going to pay a boat captain and you. So all of y'all grew up here. Go get your captain's license. So it was because we wanted to go on the dive boat. So got my captain's license. Not a big deal. The boat went away, but I was going to grad school, so I was okay with that. And when I came down to Fort Lauderdale, the jobs that were available all had to do with driving boats. And since I was already in the diving industry, I uh, taught scuba and, and drove a dive boat. 
there for three years and and it was it was amazing what I got to see and there and then on to Hawaii when I moved to Hawaii my best friend lived out there and she invited me to come live and the job that I got there as well was Maui Dive Shop driving a dive boat so it it really did uh, help me you know get through uh navigate kind of like where I was going and and stay there for a, a while the Pacific is, is something that I could have not, I can't imagine not having seen it, you know, going through my life, not having seen the humpback whales underwater and the manta rays with 20 foot wingspans and, <laughs> you know, just amazing things that when you look at it, you're just like, I can't be, it really just can't be right now. Yeah. The dive instructor in Hawaii doesn't sound like it's a, a very, you know, tough life. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, it's a lot of work for a lot, not a lot of money compared to what things cost out there. Oh, sure. Yeah, so, you know, I, I was renting a room in a house and it was, you know, what it would cost to rent an entire part, entire apartment here. So, um, that lasted for two years and, and I'm much in debt. Where do you go when you are in debt? Back home. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't have to pay rent right away. And, you know, uh, I, I always knew I would come home, though, and, and that was fine. And when I got here, Palmetto Bluff was hiring. So that was just another job. And when I first started there, there were two boats that that were in my department. And then, of course, they've got that that antique yacht, the, the Grace. But they had a Hinkley as well as the taxi boat, which was um, a Parker. But the Hinkley is a jet drive and it's a boat, um, not a cheap boat, let's just say. And the boats that I drove in Hawaii were also jet boats for divers. That might be a good idea. You can see why that would, um, they would choose a jet boat. This yeah. is like kind of like a large jet ski, but these boats are good in shallow water as well. So the Hinkley was used to uh, show property from the water. And when I got there, the harbor master was like, okay, Amber, we're going to train you how to drive this jet boat. It's really different than a propeller. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to train you <laughs> how to drive this boat because I've been driving one for the past two years. <laughs> so uh, that was one of those like victory moments, you know, it's coming back to the South. I forgot, you know, there aren't very many females in this kind of a, a realm more and more each year but you know it's still um, not sure if you know they know what they're doing if you if you see um, a female behind the boat that this just this feeling of people looking at you going does she really know what she's doing you know <laughs> and, and by far I probably know more than most of the men that are driving boats out there but I, I encountered that again. It surprised me at first, and then I remembered. Oh, yeah. I mean, you go on yeah. YouTube and watch, you know, the boat fails, and you're like, man, nobody knows what they're doing out there. I don't want to own a boat. So. Oh, that's, that's true, because yeah. you don't have to have a boat license in South Carolina. You can just buy a boat and go, yeah. which is not a good idea. Yeah. So, well, that, I mean, that, that's why the Coast Guard, you know, ensures that the, the tour people, you know, are all licensed mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. what they're doing. So mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to be sending that helicopter out to go pull 20 people out of the water. For people that are looking to uh, book a tour, uh, where should they go? SpartinaCharters.com is my website. 
and you can book online or you can just call me directly and my phone number's on the website. I'm really flexible. I'm probably the worst business person on the planet. I am definitely a marine biologist and I'm trying to make a living (laughs) by doing this. So, you know, I just trust people to pay me when they get there. Don't take anything unless you book online. There's that and you just show up five to 10 minutes early hop on the boat and it's a two-hour tour. Whoever's interested, you're going to learn a lot, way more than you think. Well, some of the proceeds from the Spartina Charters goes to support a very important mission. Will you just quickly touch on that? Because we're going to do a whole episode on uh, sea turtles and, and dolphins. The Spartina company in general, because it has insurance and things like that, I was able to purchase vehicles um, under that. So I have a, an ambulance actually that, uh, transports injured sea turtles. Usually when we come up to a stranding, it's, it's not alive. It's rarely is it, but you know, there have been situations where it is, and there, I'm the only one in this area with a permit to transport alive endangered species. The turtles now can't be in the back of a pickup truck because the reptiles, they can't control their body temperature. They could overheat and die on the way to Charleston to the South Carolina Aquarium. I put them in the ambulance where I have to manage the the temperature with the, you know, air conditioner and, and that sort of thing. And if you've ever seen a full-size locker head, it's about 400 pounds. Wow. <laughs> five feet long. We have slings and things. It takes multiple people to lift them. I've got temperature gauges and all sorts of things in the ambulance to make sure that I'm not overheat, you know, if they're cold stunned, for example, like we've been hearing about in the news, their temperature has to rise at a very slow rate. So you can't be on a summer day putting blankets on them or something like that. You know, you have to turn the air conditioner way down and to their body temperature and slowly start to change your, your temperature inside your car. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, transporting an animal, in sure. other words. Yeah, it's not, so, not throwing your dog in the back in the cage. <laughs> right. right. Your 400-pound so dog, yeah. <laughs> if you can imagine. So, yeah. Well, Amber, we're, we're going to get into a lot of that in the, the other episode. So I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Once again, you can find Spartina Charters at SpartinaCharters.com. We have a whole other episode where uh, Amber is going to explore – one of her greatest passions, the Sea Turtle Patrol here on Hilton Head. Uh, We'll find out how the patrol got started, what the patrol does, and most importantly, how we can help the turtles have a very successful nesting season. See you next time as we travel down 278 to Lighthouse Road.